You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast with your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Today we speak with marathon runner Ethan Mulholland, who shares his story of resilience and revitalization. After overcoming adversity, hitting a low in his mid-twenties, Ethan shares how reconnecting with his culture and uncovering a love for running helped build him back physically, mentally and spiritually. Please note that this episode contains conversations that you may find triggering. If this is the case, please contact Lifeline on 131114 and reach out to your support network of friends and family. Ethan, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Ethan, in 2020, you ran your first marathon, the Midnight Marathon in Alice Springs, and it was under a full moon. Tell us, what was that experience like for you being out there running your first 42K marathon? The experience of running my first marathon was, um, it actually, it didn't even scare me at all, where, you know, where you think running 42.195 kilometres is, um, is uh, it's going to be hard. Of, of course, I know it's going to be hard, but it didn't scare me because I put my hand up to try out to be selected out of a squad around the country. And once I got selected, I knew no matter what it took that um, I was going to run the marathon. And it was supposed to be in New York. Um, that's usually the big prize is like if you get selected, you train, you run, you get to go to New York. And uh, obvious reasons, pandemic hit. Um, and it just so happened to be that the same time the New York Marathon was on over in, in New York, um, there was a full moon in Alice Springs on that, on that night. So it all made sense. And leading up to it, I actually preferred, before the pandemic hit, I actually was thinking I would love to run the marathon in Alice Springs. And then it just so happened we were everything changing um, and it ended up being there. So, yeah. What was so special about Alice Springs for you? Well, that's where the IMF, the Indigenous Marathon Foundation and Project started. So that was where um, Charlie Ma, uh, the number one graduate from the foundations from, and, and I think of New York and I think great, like to me, yeah, cool, of course, like still spilling that I didn't get to go there, but um, on, your, on home turf in the middle of the country, under a full moon at midnight, um, it's very unique, and and it was the first one that's happened. So I got that, you know, I can say I've done that, and um, that's what makes it so special. Being on country and running my first ever marathon. You talk about being selected for the Indigenous Marathon Foundation squad there, the project squad. What inspired you to put an application in? Why did you want to be a part of that? Well, it actually all started from when I when I was at the Glen. Uh, we we did some a Father's Day run, which was in Sydney, and we opened up with dancing, and um, that's when I first met uh, Rob De Costello and all of the graduates and all the um, the raw runners from around the country. And 
coming from that, I had a work colleague named Chris Mason and he was from out Western Sydney too. So he's a Penrith boy. And he actually, one day he just said, mate, 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 do you want to run in New York? And I was just like, what are you on about? And he goes, mate, look at this, look at this, look at this. And because if, if anyone knows who Chris is, he's this really enthusiastic, like he, he, he could sell you a pen and make the pen sound like it's pure gold. And he's like, mate, you got to this. And then my mind is just like, so I'm looking up the Marathon Foundation and um, I've seen past graduates, Zibby and Fielding, who spoke at the Warrior Run. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. I'm like, I would love to try out for this, not only just for the marathon, but the change it makes for Indigenous people. And I put my hand up and tried out in Newcastle. Uh, so I was either Sydney or Newcastle. And um, so it's in summer where we tried out and it was 40. And, either, and that day in the morning was Newcastle and in the afternoon was Sydney. And uh, I, I was on the Central Coast, so I was in between. and. Um, it was going to be 40 degrees, so I went up to Newcastle and it was like 32 in the morning and um, I didn't get much running done and we have to run five kilometres for a trial. And the night before, um, for some reason, I was just eating Twisties or Cheetos or something and um, I got hungry and then the next day, I was, just, I was about two kilometres in and I could feel the Cheetos coming back up and... Um, yeah, and then I, I didn't stop, though. I didn't stop. I kept going because the coach, Adrian Dodson Shaw, he was um, watching. I was like, just don't stop, just don't stop. And halfway through, I was ready to go and go into my car and say, don't worry about it. That's how tough the first five kilometres was. And um, But what pushed me through is most of my life, I stopped and started a lot of things and I never completed them. And getting into a point in my life now where if I say I'm going to do something, I've got to do it. And, I went through it and then had a yarn with um, Adrian afterwards and told him my story. And then so bad, about three, four months later, I got a phone call to say that I've been selected out of a squad of uh, 16 men and women, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders from around the country. So, yeah, that's how it all came about. And what did it mean for you, Ethan, to, to get that call a few months later to say you've been picked? Do you recall that feeling? Yeah, I was at work and a lot of my reason to doing it was to show the people, my clients that I work with at the Glen, was to show them I can be where they were and then do these type of things. And um, But the feeling was, it was great because um, it was just knowing that I've, I've been selected in this squad and I'll be going on camps around the country and then at that time going to New York, it's like, like thinking, well, I'm actually from where I was, where I was at in life two, three years prior. I'm now in this position where I can train for a marathon and hopefully inspire others along the way. And going back to the first marathon in Alice Springs, were there moments during that run, Ethan, where you wanted to to throw in the towel and, and to give it away? Were, were there mental hurdles that you had to overcome? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because it was I. I to this day, I think it's been about two, three years since I've ran it. I've never had a more harder run than that marathon. Um, it took me to places. Um, I hit a wall at, at 21 kilometres, so just before halfway, where they usually talk about you hit a wall around 30 kilometres. So 
I knew I was in trouble when I was two kilometers in because um, my throat was really dry and I had I hadn't trained once at 9 p.m. to run. Was that two or three kilometers in and my throat's really dry and I'm like, ah. so I haven't climatized properly. And just everything, I'm just in my mind, it's um mental, but mentally, physically, and spiritually was um it challenges all three of them. And it wasn't my physical that got me over the line. It was more my mental and spiritual, where I was physically done at 20Ks. And um, I spent a lot of time uh, <laughs> trying to vomit, trying to make myself vomit. And it reminded me, the way I put it, it feels like back in the days when I was hungover and I was having those really, really tough mornings where, you know, I'm just, I'm, I need water, you know, I need water, I need sleep. I just want to go into a pool and just, just, and I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, this is, why am I doing this to myself? You get taken into like a dark place, I guess, but it, it's what your spirit and your mental and, and your reason why, what, what gets you over the line. And my reason was, is to show people, you know, that have suffered from drug and alcohol addiction, um, that can, they can come out on the other side and also, like I had, I've got a great family too. So you think about those things when you're running. You're thinking, if I stop, like, you know, just I just got 20 kilometers to go. But then <laughs> the more you get towards the end of the finish line, one kilometer becomes so long. It just feels like forever. Chest is everything. And um, some days I still don't know why I run when I'm in those moments. But when you come out, come out, come out of it, uh, it all makes sense, and and your body's just pumping full of good things because. Um, running is, you know, should be what everyone should be doing. If you can't walk, you can't, you know, you should be exercising all the time. We've spoken with other runners on the podcast, Ethan, and they talk about on those long distance, the endurance runs that, as you say, your mind goes to a dark place, but then you start to make deals with yourself. If we get around this corner, we can give it away. One more kilometre and you can stop for a drink. Did you find yourself kind of almost devil on the shoulder starting to, to bargain with yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm laughing because <laughs> during that marathon, we had like water stations and I had no had no hydration vest and, and I could see a light in the distance and I'm like, there's there's water, there's um there's the stop, I can get some water or gel or lollies or something. <laughs> and I'm at this stage I'm getting delusional because I'm like, I'm looking at this light, I'm like, come on, Ethan. I said, all you gotta do is just get to this, get to that, and you can refuel and we'll go from there. And I get there, and it's not a, it's not a stop. It's um, it's someone's front porch light. <laughs> it's someone's front light, and I'm just. And then I couldn't get another drink of water for about another four kilometers. And yeah, so you start making deals like, I just get over here, or like wake up to yourself. You know, everyone's watching you. Don't, don't you quit? And um, because you're out there for such a long time with yourself, I had support runners. But I couldn't even talk to them and I was just buggered and, and you just with yourself and it's like the form of meditation as well. So you just, you're in the moment, all you've got to worry about is the next step, the next step, the next step. And then things creep into your mind, that little devil is just like, just slow down, just walk, just stop. Like you don't have to be here, just go, just go away or don't be here. Like what are you doing? Just, just run, run away, not where you're going. And, um, but most definitely I can relate to those um, that little devil on your shoulder. 
And Ethan, take us to the finish line. The, the moment you stepped across that line, what did it mean to you? And you, having your parents there as well to to mm. celebrate such a huge physical achievement, but as you say, a, a spiritual and a mental achievement. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I had at the finish line. I actually was hoping to finish around four hours, just just between four hours, and um, so I had my mum and dad there, and my mum worries about everything. And there was about, I was about four and a half hours out there still. So in my mum's mind, she's like, is he dead? Because <laughs> I, I told her I'm going to be about four hours, I reckon, I'm hoping for, given my training and average pace and all that. I'm like, but you, you never know for your first marathon. I don't think anyone out of the squad got, even I think last year's squad as well, got their time that they set out for, um, especially being in Alice Springs because during the day it's really hot. And then it goes really cold and dry. And um, so it was about four and a half hours in. And um, everyone was telling me after the race, like, your mum thought you, you were dead. And I was, I was out there. I felt dead. But there's no way I was not going to do this. Like, I would have crawled across the line. I would have dragged. I would have, man, I would have done anything to get across the line. And so near the finish line, I was met with this whole crowd, these lights shining and, and this time it was actually what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it was a finish line. It wasn't someone's house. And um, and then we had Rob D. Costello. I remember this because I, I was I was gone and I had about 100 metres left and he's like, put your arms up, like, you know, when you're going across the finish line. But I couldn't even do that. I was just like, look like a scarecrow trying to get across the line. He's like, put your arms up. And I'm, I'm in my head like, shut up, shut up. Like, I'm just, and then I finished and then, um, my coach Adrian, we I had some support runners with me, Nat, and it was just a beautiful moment. And it's just like I've done it, and then I just break down in tears. It's mixed emotions because you you're glad it's over. Everything plays in your mind over the last five months, or even for me over the last four or five years. And then um, you just met with these great people who help support you from day dot. Um, so it's. That's what made the Alice Springs Marathon so special because if it was in New York, my family wouldn't have been there unless they would have bought flights or something, but I don't think they would have because it's pretty expensive, but I'm pretty sure they would have. But um, to have family there and then the people that train with you and support you and past, past graduates who have been through the program, um, having them there as well, just supporting you, just a great vibe of positive people in my life. When you first joined the IMF squad in 2020, Ethan, from the get-go, did you notice a difference in yourself as a person? Yeah, yeah. I realised, um, I noticed, because I, I played a lot of sport growing up, I learned that running is a whole different sport. Um, playing cricket, rugby league, uh, I learned that, I learned about myself is that I can train for something, given, given that I love sport, like cricket and all that with, with a ball, like that's, I love anything like cricket ball, volleyball, anything netball, I'll play it. But running challenged me a lot because it tested me of just me and myself getting out there for a run. I could never fathom going out there and, and running 10 kilometres. But at first, when we got our training schedule, 
we got given like, you know, run five kilometers on a Wednesday. And I thought, easy, like my ego, like I, play, I played sport, you know, I can run, I can pump out five kilometers. I'm a bit good now. And then I, I knew nothing about running. I burnt out in the first 800 meters, but then I learned and then I, I reached out to the coach. So what am I doing wrong? And it's all in rhythm. Just those things I learned about myself through that and the long runs and um, I'll, that's what I'll take away from it, learning about myself through, through running. Was there a moment through that those training camps where you did realise, actually, I, I can do this, I, I can become a marathon runner? Yeah, I think it took me about a week and a half after being selected. After, sorry, after getting that training schedule. So I reckon as soon as I ask a question because I don't know everything, I've, I've never been a runner, so it's a bit of my ego coming out and the first week thinking, oh, yeah, I can run. I reckon a week and a half when I got taught, it's all about the rhythm. So it's all about, you know, like your heartbeats of rhythm and learn all these great things from um, Rod Casella. Like who, who better to go to for advice than Australia's greatest marathon runner? Um, and it's all in rhythm. And I had this analogy with, that stuck out because all of these camps that we went to, we actually didn't even go to camps because it was all Zoom. So because we had the pandemic. So we had the pandemic year where our squad didn't meet until the, until the marathon week, where usually each squad will meet every month in Gold Coast, Canberra, Alice Springs, um, City to Surf. So ours was all Zoom. And then when we had the Zoom session, I heard this analogy about a bucket. Uh, running is like a bucket. So if you've got a bucket of water, you should just be tipping from it, tipping from it, tipping from it. And you should still have some left near the end empty that bucket and that's when the last 500 meters when you just empty it where i was emptying the bucket probably from the start line without even warming up because that's just what i thought i thought running is easy but yeah that's those analogies that helped me through it and yeah the camps we didn't have camps compared to most years but that's what what got us through is our resilience and for me, I'm someone who just lives in a solution. It's like, well, we can't go anywhere. We can't control it. I'm sure if we could meet up, we could. But what are we going to do? Say, so, you know, throw the towel in, like what I used to do many years ago. Like, oh, it's too hard. But there's this saying that we have is the greater the struggle, the greater the reward. And we, if we can overcome this. We've overcome a pandemic. We're trained for a marathon in a pandemic and we live in a solution. What inspires you, Ethan? nowadays when you're out running what inspires me is seeing someone new that just started running someone that's overweight that's got mental health issues um drug and alcohol issues that inspires me knowing the feeling that they're going to get once they start getting into a routine i'm a bit of an empath so i care how others feel and seeing others you know run their first five kilometers walk their first 10k um inspires me I, I don't really draw inspiration from myself at all um my inspiration comes from connection with others and seeing um people smash their goals and um and seeing them you know lose 10 kilos and then they're, they're talking about marathons like you know and then they go from they go from oh i can't believe you go out and just run 5k to them their language is like oh, i'm going out for a 5k run um, so that inspires me through running is seeing others 
do that. And I'm, I'm in a role now where I'm working with the IMF and this, that's my role. <laughs> so what inspires me is actually my, my line of work today. So, yeah. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. Ethan, you grew up in the St Mary's region. What was your upbringing like? Um, my upbringing was great. So I grew up in North St Mary's, mum, dad and my sister. And then we moved to Collison when I, I think I was about seven or eight. And then mum and dad had my little brother and little sister also. Um, growing up, it was great. I, I played a lot of rugby league. I uh, played for the St. Mary's Leagues Club. I was going to be the youngest player ever to reach 100 games, but me being a Rabbitoh, red and green, Collarton Colts, um, I just always wanted to say I moved to Collarton and I was like, Mom, I need to play for red and green. Like, I need to play for the Colts. Like, it's red and green, it's Rabbitohs. I've got to play for them. And Mum and Dad were always supportive of my decisions where they could have had their son being the youngest ever 100 games player for St. Mary's Leagues. Um, but... My, my red and green eyes are just too too much and that's how my parents were. They were supportive of all my decisions. They never pushed me with sport. I've seen a lot of kids in my age really get pushed into sport and not enjoying themselves and coming off crying and all that. You know, if I ever got out in cricket or I got smashed in footy, my parents, we'll, go, we'll, we'll laugh about it when we get home. Like, okay, did you see that? Did you see me get pumped? Um, so... Sport for me was really fun and it was a part of me um, growing up with my family, especially around Collerton, Clairvale Gardens in that little cul-de-sac area. We, we grew up playing footy. Those were the fun times, man. And, and then I, I eventually played cricket because off-season in rugby league, I just said, Mum, Dad, I, need, I want to do something in cricket. And I think my first season playing with Collerton, obviously red and green, I'm playing for Collerton St. Clair Colts. So that was easy for me. And then I got selected for Penrith in my first year playing club cricket. And, um, yeah, so growing up was, was cricket and rugby league, Oztag, touch footy, you name it. I was playing sport three or four times a week. And um, that's what it, that's, it was my life like until high school. For you, was there an ambition to pursue sport as a career? Or, or at that point in time, you're just, you just loving immersing yourself into it? No, no, I, like loving it. And like I see myself playing for the Rabbitohs and then I realised I wasn't growing. <laughs> I realised I was, I was just staying the same height and all these kids were getting massive. And um, But when I played my first season of cricket, um, I fell in love with it. And again, being selected for Penrith, um, I was like, I honestly believe, you know, I could have, could have, should have, would have made it, but... Um, I really wanted to play for Australia. And, you know, I, I was probably only the one of the only legs. I was a leg spin bowler and I was up in the order in the back. And um, I love fielding. It's funny because people ask me, you know, you're a batter or bowler, what do you like most? You know, I, I love nothing better than a run out, a clear run out or, or a screamer catch. You know, like I, as, I love bowling, love batting, but there's nothing better than when I'm taking a catch or something like that. And, um, but yeah, I, I got you know I got selected for Penrith and then played with Paddy Cummins. Um, versing in club cricket, mind you, uh, it wasn't fun because you're 11 year old 
I'm 11 year old facing someone who's bowling 115 kilometers. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, the week leading up to the game, knowing that you're versing Glenbrook Blackson and that you're going to open is, the, is trauma. Like I'm telling you, like you know you're going to verse Patty. And sometimes you just wish you get out from the other bowler. <laughs> and I, I, like, I just want to get out and I want to face him. And, um, so Patty, it's crazy because Verso is, is captain in Australia now. And uh, I played alongside him in Penrith cricket. It was a lot more fun when he was in my team. And just, said, just to see this kid, like, same age as me, just ripping it in. I'm like, dude, how, how are you even doing that? And he was just as good batter as well. As he's seen, he's would have seen on the 2020, I'm pretty sure he hit, was it 2020 in India? He hit a fair bit of runs. And I've always told everyone, I said, trust me, you can bat just as good as your bowls. And, and then the other week when it happened, I was just like messaging everyone, see, told you. But yeah, that's where I thought my life was going to take me. And, but I decided to go down a different road instead of sport around about 13, 14, just fell out of love with it, um, just through poor life choices. Rugby league and cricket at that time, did you have idols? Were there people you looked up to within the sports at a professional level that you're like, they are my role models? Yes, yeah, for sure. And it's crazy to say that because two of them passed away this year, uh, Andrew Simons and Shane Warne, and the other one was Ricky Ponting. So Andrew Simons was someone like, it's exciting to watch, like something's going to happen. Same as Shane Warren. When he's bowling, something's going to happen. Ricky Ponting, Ponting I just admired his, his style. And so they're, they're my top three idols. And it's so sad just to see two of them go in the same year. Um, and rugby league was uh, Daryl Trindle, Tricky Trindle. So I was this short little lad, um, and I seen this dude throw dummies, chips over the top, and, um, and then I just mimicked him for like years and years. And so Tricky Trindle was my idol. I remember when I met him for the first time, I cried my eyes out. I think I was about four years old or five years old, and I still remember, I still remember the day I bored my eyes out because I was just so starstruck because my idol was there in front of me and I'm pretty sure my pop was holding me and I was just so I was like ah and um and then a few years ago I met him again and um Tricky Trindle so it was him and and them three them three cricketers were my idols. Do you consider the influence you have now Ethan that for you in the world of of marathon running but even broadly across the community you're now a role model for the next generation coming through. Do you do you take time to consider that? Yeah, of course. I, I always make sure – I know actions speak louder than words. I can say a lot of things and, and say I'm doing this, that, but um, being healthy, running, helping others, because sometimes people are watching you and you don't know that they are and they're looking up to you. Sometimes you're a leader with that, whether you like it or not. Um, especially being in a position I'm in, um, I just try to be the best I can every day. And it doesn't always happen. I'm only human I, as long as I'm not hurting anyone and just helping people and being there for them. But I've also got to make sure I'm looking after myself too because I, I need to be in the best position for me to, to help others. And, um, and I just hope, you know, my actions and, and what I do do inspire you for, or anyone to um, either start running, doesn't have to be running, or just as simple as helping someone on the street, saying hello, so, little things like that. That's what I hope I inspire people with. 
And Ethan, you went to Colleton High School. What was the role of education in school in your upbringing? Yeah, so um, Colleton High School, and I was listening to your podcast with Craig Gower, so we went to the same high school. And um, so two great halfbacks there, you know? No. So Colleton High School, it was fun. So I, I had a choice to go to, um, I think, Westfields Sports, I think it is, um, to year seven or go to Colleton High School. and. Um, I made the choice to go to Colton High School because I wanted to be with my friends. And um, where, like, I sh- these days, I'm thinking, man, I should have went to the sports high school, but I went to Colton High School and I was just there to have fun. And, um, and around year seven, eight was when I stopped playing cricket, I stopped playing rugby league because around that time is when I started drinking on the weekends. And um, at that age, you know, drinking, binge drinking with my mates, you know, 14, 13 year old, and and then year nine, 10, all of a sudden I'm not playing any sport at all. Like I'm not, I'm probably playing Oztag with my mates, but um from that moment on when I started decided that, you know, I'm gonna drink on the weekends and party, that's more fun. I um disconnected from myself. So I wasn't this kid, I wasn't this guy playing cricket anymore. I wasn't even watching cricket, I wasn't even watching footy. For me, it was every week, and I'm I'm going out and drinking. And um, as I said, mentioned earlier, it was just those poor life decisions where you know where what could have been and what has happened. So I um yeah, so seven, eight, nine, ten um, was when you know drinking got more and more and more. Left school, started working, and then yeah, all the dreams I ever had as a youngin were just. And we're gone. So yeah, Colin High School, like great, great school. Um, it was it's nothing to do with people around me. I made decisions based on myself, and I had those I had those things to go out and you know to go out and drink. And being around that environment in the area, um, it's very hard not to get caught up in that either. Um, especially you know Western Sydney, um, very hard not to get caught up in that. And I got caught up in it. And at, at the t- at the time, I loved doing it. I love I love going out drinking. I love going out partying, clubbing, underage, and all that sort of stuff. So that was that, and, and that became my identity. That's became what I did. Um, sport and everything just never never was never a thing anymore. You spoke about earlier how your parents are very supportive of decisions you made around sport and, and growing up. When it came to you know Colton or Westfields, did you find that were, were they encouraging you to go down a particular path? Yeah, yeah. Well, given given them my parents, like they obviously want their son to go to knowing what I achieved through cricket, they said, like, dude, go go to this, go here. And then um and I always thought about it and um they were always encouraging you know the sport, but as soon as I told them I, I don't want to do it anymore, they go, sweet. Um they didn't push me. Um, they always just knew that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be right holding myself, holding my own. And, um, yeah, so they were definitely trying to lead me towards sports school. They're the ones who brought it up and you know, they got all these flyers and I'm reading about this, but I just wanted to be with friends, local. I didn't want to get away from Collison. All my friends from Bennett Road Public School were going to Collin High School and I got caught up, you know, in the crowd. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to go further away. And I want to go to this school. Um, so yeah, parents are definitely trying to, were definitely um, doing that, and they, they, that was so good because 
didn't have as much money, but that would make sure I'd, I'd get to every single cricket game. If I wanted more lessons, um, doing whatever, every sport game, that, they'll wake up. Indoor cricket, we'll, we'll travel to Maitland, uh, Newcastle, St. Mary's Indoor Centre. We'll, they'll spend, we'll spend three, four days playing cricket. They'll be watching me. So they've been supportive of everything I've ever chosen to do. The back end of high school, when you said, yeah, the drinking, the partying was starting to take over, did you still have an idea of where you wanted to go, you know, with work and a career as well? No, no, I had no idea. I actually got so, my, my self-worth like got worse and worse. And as I say, mum and dad supported everything. They didn't obviously support me drinking and, and eventually using drugs. Like that's not, obviously, that's an obvious one. But um, I, as soon as I, I started working as a butcher when I left school, and I thought that was going to be my life. And when, while I was there and I was, like, cutting meat, I always thought to myself, I said, I, I, need, I should be something more. Like, and it's not taking away from being a butcher, just me personally. My career or my heart didn't lie in doing that. It always has been wanting to help others or being, a, being in a role where I could, I could, you know, be working with people and um, I believe now, looking back, all the decisions I made through drinking, drugging, all that has led me to where I'm at today. So there's no regrets. There's, like, there's obviously paths I probably should have taken, but without doing what I had to do, going through my alcohol, my addiction, it's led me to where I'm at today, which is, has to happen, which is I'm working where I've always wanted to be. But I had, I had my, my dreams just keep getting like drinking every weekend, like I'm disconnected from myself, using drugs. So half the week, I'm not even thinking about my future. I'm just, I'm just in survival mode. I'm just worried about turning up to work. And now I'll, <laughs> I'm pretty sure all my old bosses can vouch to say that I wasn't the most reliable in turning up. Always that kid, like he has potential, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was a butcher and then got fired from that job. And then just started working in factories. And then I'm, I'm moving boxes and my mental health is just shocking because the clock's going so slow. I'm putting that box over here. And in my mind, I'm thinking I wanted to be, how did, how did my life get to this? Where I had all these dreams as a kid growing up in Collison, playing cricket, footy, um, great family. I'm like, I want to be doing more. I can then just this once again not taking anything away from people who do do that work, but for me personally, I just had to be somewhere where my mind was getting stimulated from helping people and all that sort of work. So, from for about five years, from twenty to twenty five, was just a struggle, a real bad struggle, and because I just wasn't fulfilling my purpose in life. Did you realize the moment or the time that you were addicted to drugs and alcohol? Yeah, yeah, it was actually like I felt I had a bit of pride in being able to drink, keep up with the big boys and being able to drink uh, a lot. Um, so it was, I didn't realise it was a problem because everyone was doing it, everyone that was around was drinking um, and then I just, I just knew I would just take it to another level and I think in my 20s I realised I had a problem when I'd wake up and I'd drink and the problem wasn't while I was drinking. Like I, I didn't get into much trouble. I wasn't 
aggressive. I wasn't angry. I was, I was happy. I was, I was buzzing. I was having fun. And it all spiraled down when I sobered up. I forgot how to live life. And um, I sort of knew I had a problem creeping in when I started to wake up in the morning and crack one open. And then, um, and then I obviously knew about 23 to 25 was, was when drugs, drugs were in my life around 18, like party drugs from 18 to about 21, and then heavier drugs, speed, ice from 23, 25. And um, sort of when I'm, when I'm doing that, I realised, you know, like, what am I doing with my life? Like I didn't get raised that kid I spoke about before. How, how, did, how did I get here? And um, But, yeah, so that's now from 23 to 25 was probably the worst, worst years of my life. Easy. Where did you first seek help, Ethan? On, the, on January 8, 2018, in the morning, I finally, after many years of, of struggling, um, all I had to do was ask for help. I said, I need help. And it was to my mum. And it was actually going to be to my sister. So I was pacing up and down um, the lounge room because I was like the night before was, was like live or die. Like I, I was like, should I, should I even be here? Um, and then I slept on it and I woke up and I said, Look, I need help. And then it just broke down and, and then um, help came. Went there straight to the hospital. And I was introduced to Marin Wijali at Mount Druitt and said I had a problem. And I, even then, I still wouldn't admit of how bad it was because it, us alcoholics have this funny thing like, like I, I thought, no, nah, I've got it under control, you know, like I'm feeling good now. Like I sobered up and then two, three days later, because I'm feeling a bit good now and fresh, I'm like, oh, it's all right. I'll be, I'll, I'll be good. I'll be sweet. And my mum was like, get your ass up. We're going to this thing, and then um, and then um, went to Marin Wajali, Mount Druid, and I said they met the fellow by name David West, and he just made it so comfortable for me to have the idea to go to rehab. Could have sworn blind to you many years ago. I'm like, I'm not going to rehab. I used to tell other people they need rehab. I'm like, man, you need rehab. Um, was never looking at myself. You know, it was always look, look at you, look at you. Never really looked how I look at myself, and um. And the first time I physically looked at myself in the mirror from November 2017 to the first uh, January 8th, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, I just literally said, look at you, you piece of shit. I was like, I was this, excuse the language, but that's what exactly my way, look at you, you piece of shit. And I looked in the mirror, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And then uh, that motivated me to ask for help. And um, four weeks later, after asking for help, I'm, I'm in... I'm in the Glen Rehab, one of the best rehab in the world. And a bit biased, but I, I haven't met anyone who's said otherwise. So, Ethan, at the Glen Rehab up on the Central Coast, along with getting sober, what do you think rehab taught you? What life lesson did it teach you that you're still living to this day? That I can have fun again without using drinks, drink or alcohol or drugs, where... I got so used to relying on alcohol on events, weddings, funerals, um, celebrating stuff. Everything just seems to be everyone needs a drink, you know, like every every emotion people drink, like, you know, and for me, it's just not myself and yeah, everyone's drunk. Um, it taught me that I can go to a footy game, I can watch the game, 
I can go home. I don't have to spend 10, I think it's like, what, $15 for a mid-strength drink these days. I don't need to empty my wallet out. Um, like, it just taught me I can do these things. And the Glen, it's, it's, it's a different rehab to others. So, like, in the first week, we went out dancing, and then the second week, we danced in front of 7,000 people at the soccer. And then two weeks later, I'm doing an education talk at a school. Um, I'm doing artwork. I'm, I'm just having fun. And I'm like, I'm not sitting there isolating and using drinks, dr- drugs or alcohol. And it taught me um, that, that mental, mental, physical, and spiritual. It strengthened all that back up and taught me that, yeah, the, the thing is that a lot of people have a lot of fear that if they give up alcohol and drugs, they think that's saving them. And they think that, you know, oh, how can I go there without having a drink? But it, it was killing me, like, slowly. And it's just like, it's the alcoholism, the disease of alcoholism is just like, it, it, it wants me back out of there. Even to this day, some days I, I get myself, call myself slipping, like, oh, how good would it be to have a drink? And I'm like, it's, it just, it's always there as an alcoholic. Um, but I can manage it these days, like four and a half years clean and sober and where I thought I was going to drink myself to death and I was happy with that because I just didn't know there was another way out and the Glen told me that there is. The connection to culture, Ethan's a huge part of the Glen and its ethos. How important was it for you or what role did culture play in your rehabilitation? Well, I always wanted to connect culturally um, but when when I'm about when I'm 13 years old and I'm drinking all the time, it, it it's the last thing on my mind is 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 any of that stuff. And I always see my father as a huge inspiration, as we spoke about before. Um, seeing that the work he does in the community around Mount Druitt. Um, and when I went to when I looked at the Glen, it just felt right. And I was looking at the what they do is a dance and. I was like, I, I need that. I need that in my life. And I think that's what made me so comfortable of going to a place for three months where, like before, I wouldn't even leave Colton and go to school. I was like, I was just stayed in that one area. And to be made, to have that feeling when I looked at this rehab and I said, that's it, that's for me, from the dance, the art and all that. So that's a huge part. It's my idea. It's my, who I am. It's in my blood. and it's what. I should have always been doing and um, seeing my father do work for the Aboriginal community um, inspired me and, and I believe going through the Glen, getting myself right, learning about myself so I can help others in the same situation was, um, is, is, is huge. And now next week I'm about to dance at the Rabbitohs Indigenous uh, round against the Tigers. So a team that I idolise and grew up watching. It's these things, they call it the gifts of recovery. Like I'm telling you, when, when you want to give up, when people want to give up drugs or alcohol and they, they, know, they know it's damaging their lives, they can't control it, these great things happen. Like I ran a marathon in Alice Springs. I've done an ultra marathon. Three weeks later, I'm dancing for the Rabbitohs. Um, all, and I'm, I'm in Canberra right now working for the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. It's, all this wouldn't happen. If I was still drinking, I'd, I'd be dead. So the Glen is brought me back to life spiritually, which is through, you know, culture. And that, you know, that I'm sober, it feels like, you know, getting into it. Where I, I just, 
didn't really think of it when I was drinking because it, drinking was my identity. And Nathan, four and a half years sober now, which is uh, it's, it's monumental. And, and as you said, it's, it's given you a lot of purpose in life. What advice would you pass on to someone who is in the middle of a similar situation that you found yourself in? They're in a dark place. They're addicted. What would you say to them as step one? You gotta, you gotta admit it. You gotta admit that you've got a problem. So you gotta cut out all the bullshit. Like you know, oh no, I've just had a bad week. It's um, you gotta reflect. You gotta go. You gotta connect within yourself and realize. Okay, well, I know so many people that wake up and they go, "I'm never drinking again." So I'm never drinking again. That should be. That's your. That's your spirit trying to save you. Like, get help. Let's. This is not us. Like, if, if you're having those feelings and you know, reach out for help. Um, the Glen has now got a rehab for women as well, which opened up a few weeks ago. Get yourself into a place like the Glen, Glen for men, Glen for women, any rehab, get any help, get stuck in the AA, go to NA meetings, um, reach out, reach out to myself. Like, um, there's help out there and there's light at the end of the tunnel. You may not see it. Um, I didn't see it and I couldn't fathom it. And um, you just need to, you need to reach out. And it's hard to reach out for, you know, through phone and calls, but just book yourself in to get help. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. Ethan, you went on to work for four years at the Glen, giving back to the place that gave you so much. And as you said, you're now working at the Indigenous Marathon Foundation as the Community Impact Manager. What what inspires you to give back through your current role? What inspires me is I worked at the Glen and, you know, I helped people from around, you know, I suppose New South Wales. And further, sometimes I helped that community. I've um, got introduced to a lot of people there. And the Glen had taught me so much knowledge of not just through, you know, recovery or alcoholism and addiction, but um man like uh professional development through public speak like this stuff public speaking there's lessons uh we have steve allen from he announces all the grand finals and origin he comes in and does lessons on public speaking um man so much uh you know mental health uh awareness first aid um excel spreadsheet courses anything like that um so going from the glen I've learned all this stuff and it's brought me onto bigger, bigger things in, in, the, in the context of like Australia. So now I get to work with communities, um, people in Arakoon, um, Arnhem Land and out Broome and everywhere. So what inspires me is knowing that I'm in a position where I can help not only just like a local community, but community from all over the country and that inspires me because it's just like I get I get to meet these amazing people, um, get to travel around the country for free <laughs> and um, and I get to help them through running and walking, colour fun runs. Um, I've got these plans to get a running and walking group started in Mount Druitt, Sydney and the Central Coast through my connections through the Glen and family, my old man, he's doing a walking track at Amazon. To get some um, men and women out there to get healthy, 
go for walks and runs and I just want to start some groups out there because that's my way of giving back to where, you know, I grew up and what gave back to me. Has there been a moment, Ethan, in your current role that's really stood out, maybe one that you felt like you are making the biggest difference or that really resonated with you? It would be, I suppose, it would be people asking me, <laughs> one of the weirdest things is people look at me thinking I've got all this running experience, but I've only been running for three years. and But I can actually tell, I went from not knowing anything like that guy who tried to sprint five kilometres straight off the bat to actually <clears throat> listening and learning from Rob DiCostello, Tim Rowe, all these great athletes. I'm absorbing all this, en- all this energy and this knowledge. And what stands out to me is that I can answer these questions when people ask me about running. I can actually answer it. And sometimes I reflect and I'm like, how did I, like, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think I've been in a row for about a month now and I've got this front run championships coming up in Mackay. Uh, in Queensland, so there's going to be about 100 people from all over the country coming together, and it's just been great working with everyone from different communities, and they're just calling me up, like, and that's, yeah, it's just it's crazy to think where, where I'm at today compared to four and a half years ago. You spoke about the runners and walkers group at Mount Druitt. Uh, it's, it's a vision for you. You want to bring that to life alongside the work that your dad does in that region. Who should get involved in that? Which people within the community would you encourage to be a part of that runners and walkers group? I'd, I'd love everyone. Everyone's encouraged to go there. Of course, it's not going to be everyone, but um, the main focus is on Indigenous people, uh, men, women, kids, you know, mums and bubs, all of them, um, because every year, like with this Mackay, we get to select some Indigenous people from each community to come together. Um, but it's for everyone, and the more the merrier. I'd love, you know, non-Indigenous, everyone just to come together and inspire each other. So it's welcome, yeah, non-Indigenous, Indigenous people with the main focus of Indigenous health of hopefully it creates a space where, you know, we, we get kitted out on this Indigenous gear and a space where it, it seems great for an Indigenous person to go to and safe. You see them out there with this group in Cairns called uh, Cairns Raw up in Cairns and they've got about 200, 300 people that um, meet every week and it's massive. So um, Mandrill will shape its own way and walking, running, someone, we've got programs from people who are sitting at home now and thinking, oh, I'm not going to get up and run and walk. But when everyone thinks about losing weight or mental health, the first thing that comes to everyone's mind really is running or walking or exercise or get out the door. Come out, get out the door and walk, just walk two, three K a week. Meet people and then connect. And yeah, so hopefully they get we'll get that kicked off in about a month or two. But we'll welcome to everyone. Ethan, we've seen the past couple of years a real global movement to eradicate racism and segregation around the world. And as we know, Australia has a Pretty terrible history in that space. What what do you feel people can do, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, to really promote reconciliation in their day-to-day lives? I think everyone's got to acknowledge that the country that they're on. Um, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and even through, through school, it was crazy. Even like my my age bracket or our age bracket is that I, I was even made to believe in primary school that Captain Cook was the first person here. Or, 
And it's crazy to think that. Um, and the, the thing I can do is to acknowledge the country and, and educate yourself. If you're not Indigenous and you don't understand it, to educate yourself on what has happened, um, which is really important, especially, you know, like you'll be on Darug country right now. I'm on Ngunnawal country. And I think what's so good about schools now is that they're doing all this reconciliation stuff in schools where there was very limited stuff of cultural, cultural activities for me in primary and high school. And there was some there, but I reckon everyone's got to acknowledge the country that they're on. And like things like that raw group, there's going to be with the raw running and walking group in Mount Druitt, um, go there and support the Indigenous people that do come, you know. And then if you're if you're an experienced runner or walker <coughs> or walker, share your knowledge. And I believe the Indigenous Australians, we have an obligation to educate others as well when they reach out and non-Indigenous to um, reach out for that education. Ethan, you said to me before our chat that for you it is important to surround yourself with positive people who help you move forward in life and help you grow as a person. Do you take time in your day-to-day life now to reflect on the journey that you've had to this point, the triumphs and the challenges? Yeah, I, especially on my long runs. So when I'm out there, because I somehow fell into doing ultra runs as well, I've actually done more ultra marathons than marathons. I don't know how. On the runs, you sort of you do a lot of reflecting, especially I think what I like about like ultras and stuff is when you get to the top of a mountain and you have this little moment with yourself and, um, and you just reflect and you just make it to the top of this mountain and it's just like sometimes, some days I pinch myself and then some days I just, yeah, it's, 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 it's life's so busy too. So I've always got to make sure I try and reflect every now and then um, and make sure, you know, that I've, I've come a long way because Sometimes my head can play tricks and think, you know, I haven't done much today or whatever, but I'm my own harshest critic. I'm my worst enemy at times. So um, reflecting definitely happens on long runs because you just I'm just with me or just all you use is footsteps. Do you believe in life, Ethan, that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves as people? Do you feel the path is laid out for us and we just live it or that every decision we make every day shapes where we end up? Yeah, there's there's this great um, quote, and I, I don't know if I'm going to say it properly, but Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist. Have I got that right? Everyone goes in life looking for meaning in life. I, I believe we are creating meaning as we go, you know. And I think he says something. Everyone goes looking for the meaning of life, like it's under a rock or it's over there. Where is it? Um, but we're creating it as we go, and that's and listening to him. Speak on YouTube and stuff like that, he was actually someone who opened up my mind and helped me reach out for help as well. So a year a year before reaching out for help, I was just on YouTube and I was just always looking up this guy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and it just opened up my mind to so many things and all those quotes and, you know, um, uh, all those, yeah, one, one-liners really um, inspired me to, yeah, for the creating of meaning of life. And can you pinpoint one person, Ethan, over your journey to now who has been your single greatest influence? Single greatest influence. There's a there's a fellow by the name of Aaron Moore. He was a counsellor at the Glen. And 
he's someone it's crazy because he's actually a Roosters fan and I'm a Bunnies fan, so it's it sort of makes me sick to say that. <laughs> but um he is a is a gem. He um he, I really connected with him as he was one of the workers and he told me like it is, instead of telling me what I want to hear and um he helped me with so much in life and just told me what I needed to hear, even if sometimes what he says is is really direct and it's sort of you're like, oh like stuff you, but I'll go back and process it and he's 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 spot on. So he he's through the Glen. Um he stopped working there when I started working there. And um since then like great mates and actually starting a raw group, a running and walking group in Maruba with him. So there's one in 25th of June, uh 25th of June next next month. So me and him are working together on a running and walking group out there too. So he, he's been a huge influence for me, but it's hard to say this one person because if I was to say someone would be him, but I've, I've come across probably hundreds of great people who I can say that have just influenced me to get to where I'm at today. Easy, easy over 100. Nathan, what's the best way for people to, to reach out and connect with you, to follow your journey, but to find out more about these running and walking groups and the great work you're doing in the community? Yeah, for sure. Like on my Instagram, I share a lot about you know, personal stuff, but also promote the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. So follow them on Instagram and also websites, um, the IMF, the, the Indigenous Marathon Foundation, look them up. The Glen Rehab, look them up, um, and most definitely just follow us, follow myself on there. And I'm always posting stuff about running groups, um, stuff about recovery, or if anyone wants to reach out, if they need help, just search me up, and I'll be there. Ethan, as you say, you continue to create meaning in every new day of your life. What's next for you? What's on the horizon for Ethan? I've started karate. <laughs> I'm now doing karate. I'm now doing kettlebells. Um, I like to try new things. I've got a half marathon tomorrow. Um, and my, I think my, I haven't booked in any marathons because I've been getting used to this role where I'm at now. Um, what next for me is those three things of starting a running and walking group in Maroubra, Mount Druitt and the Central Coast. And that's also it's a it's a personal and professional goal for mine. Like to see to work on that and see that unfold, and just doesn't have to be a hundred people going there. It just has to be people who want to do good for other people and themselves. Other than that, and and my focus also now is this new role with the IMF. So really focusing on learning a whole different line of work because I've come from drug and alcohol to the role I'm in now. Ethan, thank you for sharing your, your very honest story of resilience and inspiration on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Wishing you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast. The Passion and Perspective podcast is made in loving memory of Katie Margaret Lees who truly lived with passion and perspective.